What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and in this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are today on episode 33. Last week, I was talking about the basic fundamentals of property investment the st- the questions that you should be asking yourself at the outset of your career or indeed if you happen to be preparing for round two and given what's happened in the past year with COVID 19 i think round two is actually something that we might all be thinking about is 2021 going to be the year that we jump in and uh, start getting active again here in dublin we are out of our COVID uh, lockdown and Christmas is just around the corner and I've been looking at the, you know, the new year is just upon us. We're only about 18 days away from the new year as I'm recording this. And I started thinking about my goals and objectives for 2021. And I started asking the question, how can I turn the page on what has been a particularly difficult year? One idea I had was that perhaps we should all think back over the last 12 months and look for a couple of wins that we've had and that we can celebrate because as hard as and all as it as it has been this past year i bet there are a number of achievements and accomplishments that we have all done but that they so quickly get overlooked and forgotten so have a think about it what are they in my case i guess this podcast is probably one of the best things that happened in 2020 i started it in the middle of the first lockdown and here i am Uh, entering into episode 33 so it's uh, certainly one of my accomplishments that I can think of celebrating and uh, also I pulled off a number of sort of uh, I suppose you could call them fitness challenges and so I I did my 10,000 burpee challenge back in August and last weekend I completed my double marathon challenge so the 4x4x48 as I call it and these are just little wins you know i'm not kind of expecting any awards but i just think it's important to acknowledge and celebrate your wins because you know when it's a difficult year these kind of things are important and 2021 year is going to be a great year in my in my view anyway and another opportunity to go and put some scores on the board so i think you should start your plan now and uh, see how you get on you never know if you don't plan you're probably not going to pull it off and um, speaking of accomplishments and achievements my guest today has accumulated many of them Um, and she that's right it's a she she just happens to be the first female guest that i have had on this podcast and yes today i am speaking with miss emma hendry from melbourne australia and the very fact that she's the first guest and um on the podcast first female guest it just shows how sort of male dominate this dominated this industry is and it make and it kind of came clear to me that wow the fact that i'm only now at episode 33 speaking to the first uh, lady um, of all the guests that i've had on it does kind of bring home this and it's something that i think about a lot because i have four daughters myself and um they, uh, they're all very important and precious to me. And I think about, you know, what's this industry have in lined up for them? I mean, will they want to even come into this industry, given the way that it's um, structured and the way it's kind of so male dominated? 
And so today, my conversation with Emma, we go into that a little bit and we talk about just, you know, how she's navigated through that. And we also get into um, a lot of technology and innovation, which is an area that she specializes. And I thought I'd just mention that today is uh, the day that we're actually releasing this this episode is my daughter Erica's fourth birthday and that also got me thinking about just how the how is technology going to impact this industry in the coming decades I mean it's just mind-blowing what's happened just during COVID alone the transformation in society with the way we've all moved to virtual meetings working from home all of that kind of stuff it has been a really really transformative year from a technology point of view and how it's impacted society and that i think is only going to increase in accelerate in the coming years and so you know when my daughter erica is 24 what will the real estate industry look like what will the construction industry look like i think it's fairly interesting if you just think ahead and um Anyway, I get into a lot of that stuff today in my conversation with Emma and also I get into her thoughts on how COVID has impacted uh, the industry and stuff like that. So look, without further ado, I'm going to get straight into my conversation with Miss Emma Hendry. All right, Emma Hendry, how are you? It's great to have you on the show. I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you today. Emma, it's great to hear from you. And it's also very interesting to hear that you are, it's 7.30 in the evening when I'm speaking to you and it's 8.30 here in the morning in Dublin and you are in 40 degrees of heat and I'm in minus one. So it's uh, (laughs) quite a difference between the two of us. Anyway, you're more than welcome to be here. Uh, I just wanted to kind of, there's a lot of people, there was a lot of interesting topics that we're going to go over today, but for the for the benefit of the audience who might not have heard of you or and know all of the different things that you're doing, would you mind just kind of painting a picture of your sort of backstory, basically from, you know, you're living in Melbourne, Australia. Can you give us a little kind of a, a starter story where you came from and uh, and you know what's brought you to kind of where you are today definitely um I think you know everyone's stories are so different and, and complex and we all sort of come to the same area and from very different um diverse um ways and my story is one of them I uh, I studied undergraduate commerce economics thought I'd um, go into finance worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers and then the lure of the family business drew me in um so I had to come back into the family fold into the family business which was a built form advisory firm specializing in compliance at that time. Um, and I never thought I'd really stay for very long. I thought that I would sort of leave without a year a year or two once I had worked out the accounting and financial sort of area. But then I started to see the issues that were plaguing the sector. And, and many you would have seen today, such as Greenfell and, and, and other issues that we've had with structural integrity crisis. Um, and I really wanted to make a difference and make an impact. And then as I was ascending to take over the C-suite position, I also took on um, two masters, but an executive MBA over at Oxford University. And I started to realize how um, technology was rapidly disrupting and impacting all about the sectors around us, but property was still staying as a laggard. And so when I was taking over as CEO, I really had to consider these multiplicative factors and how they were going to sort of intertwine and how I was going to help forge not only my business, 
business, but an industry make that sort of step forward. And that's where I sort of now took that next step in my journey, where I became extraordinarily interested in, you know, digital innovation. And it's also led to um, a passion of mine, which is diversity, inclusion and equality, to really um, be able to bring the right great talent into our sector that we need for momentous change. So today it's led me to sort of move on from the CEO position that I once held and take on more direct roles of prop tech companies themselves and also advise lots of different companies within the property sector. Um, I also am the global Australian um, Women for um, Prop Tech Ambassador and I also co-chair the Australian UK Young Leaders Forum. Wow, what a what a list of accolades! Um, I also noticed I was actually checking out your your LinkedIn just before we came online, and I see yesterday or over the weekend you were awarded one of the top one hundred women awards. So um, we have a, a a leader in the industry, uh, and it's what's great about it is actually I was going to sort of say my I actually have four daughters, so for me it's very interesting to see what you're what you're doing from um, from the point of inclusion and stuff because it is a very male dominated industry. And I kind of wonder whether my children are going to be interested in coming into such a male-dominated. So it's very interesting to see you kind of um, forging ahead with this. Definitely. And I also um, done a lot of work with trying to bring girls into STEMs. So there's some fantastic organisations that I work with um, that um, do core curriculum at, um activities and also courses to try and get girls during um, education to choose the right subjects to pursue these types of degrees and also to advocate these role models that we have out there so we debunk those stereotypes and, and it becomes an inclusive environment which isn't just about gender but it's about all different types of talent because to solve a problem you need a diverse set of mindset obviously um, as we all know and, and in the property sector you know we're a bit of a laggard as well in that diversity area but it's not for a lack of trying from this point in time forward. So I've got a lot of hope in the next decade, the, um, the, the change that is going to occur. Yeah, no, I think so. And it's um, what's great is that, uh, I mean, with people like yourself working on this, I think it's becoming kind of more of an, uh, you know, it's more of an industry that that girls, certainly my, one of my daughters is, is quite interested in the idea of coming in. And I, I too come from kind of a family business background. I started out doing my own thing. My father actually died um, unexpectedly. And so I kind of got dragged into it as well. And it's funny that thing you 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 have that kind of love hate relationship with it where you want to be involved but you don't want to be involved you want to do your own thing but you've got this kind of responsibility and so it is yeah. difficult and uh, and I feel that with one of my daughters in particular she's kind of asks a lot of questions about it and and things of that nature. Um, in terms of your well, let's first of all start with the obvious big question that is COVID and um, COVID nineteen. I know I read you know a few weeks or months back that. Melbourne had gone into the second lockdown and all this kind of stuff. So it's been extremely disruptive um, in terms of just how it's impacted you, your business, uh, your businesses and the industry as a whole. Can I can I tell me what you think about this and, and how it's impacted you guys? Yeah, I, I think um, for like from everyone around the world, it's completely disrupted and, and impacted everyone on every type of scale. Um from a business point of view, it has completely disrupted how business is done. Um, uh, especially in Melbourne, as we went into lockdown, people could not go into work. And this um, actually caused a recession for the first time in many decades. So I think Melburnians and Australians, we weren't used to um, having these economic downturns and also having to go back into lockdown. So we actually went into two lockdowns. We got a breath of freedom 
and then we got re-locked down again and you could really see um, the mental fatigue and the social issues and cohesion um, sort of um, playing out and emanating that that we're seeing a lack of creativity opportunity lots of people are losing their jobs however on the flip side um, what has sort of emanated out of the silver lining is that a lot of companies that weren't digital ready had to quickly um, accelerate their digital programs in order to keep on operating and now what we're seeing out in the property sector now um, for the my you know types of businesses that I'm advising and, and being involved in is that they're actually looking to prop tech firms for stability and for assistance in how do we return to work safely um, now we're also seeing a bit of a power shift where it used to be the the owners as well as the um, the, the managers of, of businesses who really mandated where and when people worked and this tried and tested model this hybrid model of being able to work from home in digital environments now exists I think we're going to see um, momentous shifts in um, what people want to um, get out of their built environments and also what people want to get out of their work life and I've seen a lot of new startups and businesses actually emanate out of it because nobody um, you know these particular people don't want to return to that same type of work that they once had they want something a little bit more meaningful um, on a personal level you um for me, it you know, being in lockdown was extremely difficult. Um, you know, business is hard to conduct. There's a lack of opportunity. Not being able to have social contact is always something that's extraordinarily important for us as humans. Um, teams didn't feel that cohesion. Families didn't feel that support with one another. And um, I think we've there's a big toll that around the world that's going to take a long time to actually repair. And I think we'll see the mental health ramifications last a while. And I think that's something that um, we as a society, as well as business managers and owners need to address as people do return to work, um, that this has taken a toll on individuals and this has changed their mindsets. And we need to be very careful with how we manage that and how we um, how we customise ourselves in our new ways of working. Mm. For sure. And in terms of your, I mean, given your, your past role as C CEO uh, of Hendry Group, do you, do you see the work from home hybrid? Do you see that as something that works quite well or do you see any weaknesses in it? I think it really depends on the individual and, and depends on the company itself. Um, you know, I like to always think about, um, uh, you know, it's all about productivity. You know, I'm going to say um, the old analogy, bums on seat mentality. Someone can be there from nine to five, um, but it doesn't actually mean that that they're putting the same output out. Um, so I think it really is going to be relevant um, for some sectors of um, that are able to do that um, and can flourish because people can choose when they come in, they can work productively. However, we're going to see subsets where they don't have the right environments to be able to do their work and other um, subsets where they actually physically still have to turn up to work in order to do it, like construction, for example, um, or for cleaning. Sure. You, you have to be at work. But there will definitely be an element of digitization now. So I think a lot of these firms have um, automated a lot of the back house or are beginning to or see the requirement to. So um, I do hope that technology gets adopted um, across the board and um, I do see it um, prevailing um, in a hybrid model in some form. I do think there was a recent statistic that said by 2022, um, um, out of 500 CEOs um, interviewed, 33% believe that their workforce will still be in a hybrid model in 2022. 
2022. So I think we have to realise that it's here to stay, but it really depends on the outcome. So we need to look at it and stop. We need to stop looking at things at input environments, but rather output environments. Yeah, I think you're right. It's all about productivity. Uh, I, I was speaking with uh, Anthony Slumbers a couple of weeks back on this topic, and he was saying that, you know, uh, companies don't want an office. What they want is a productive workforce. And it's how you deliver that productive workforce is, is really the question. And whether yeah. that's a combination of work from home, come into the office a couple of days a week. I do know I've spoken to I, you know, I run a business park here and I, I get to speak to a lot of different uh, occupiers every every day of the week. And the professional firms that are, you know, engineers and things like that, those guys very much believe that they cannot do this work from home thing. They really do need to have because they're trying to educate the young guys. They're trying to mentor the young people who come from college and things like that. And it doesn't work over a virtual kind of network really in the same way. So it's interesting from that point of view. And um, I, I mean, the office in general, it's uh, it's interesting to see the kind of the changes. Do you have uh, any kind of involvement in other sectors outside of the workplace? Would you have, you know, uh, any insights in what you think residential is going to is going to do? Is there any changes to residential since COVID has come along? Oh, definitely. I think people are looking at their residential home as a potential um, place that they have to work from. Um, I think, you know, that um, fear that this could keep occurring has also sort of made people look at residential in a very different way, the, the use, the utility that they're deriving out of their homes. Um, and we also need to mention that we're adopting technology in, in residential a lot more quicker than we're adopting it within commercial. So in order to create that frictionless sort of home environment, we are adapting, we are using platforms and technology. So I see um, the technology adoption in residential um, absolutely sort of skyrocketing at this point in time. I think with the economic recession and, and instability, there is a stagnation in, in regards to, to movement um, um, and flows within residential. But I think, you know, over time that that will be regained. Um, and if the hybrid models for those subsets that we discussed works, people might actually redesign the way they live. Um, people used to want to work close to a city centre um, and have a different type of life, whereas um, speaking to many individuals that that, are, that commute into the city to have to be at work five days a week and now sort of thinking, well, if I can do this hybrid model, um, is there hubs that I can work at? Is there co-working locations out closer to where I live? Can I sort of live in the country or along the, the coast line? So I think we might actually see a bit of a dispersion from that urbanisation that we've previously seen. Um, um, and um, that's something that the government really focuses on is how can we create innovation hubs in not just in CBD locations, but in, um, you know, rural Australia and around the world and, 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 and other areas that haven't seen that sort of investment previously. It's interesting you say that because it's the same thing that we're hearing and seeing here. I mean, one of the things that we've noticed is that the, the, there's, there's parts of the residential sector, the sales market that is actually doing really well. And it's, it's further from the city. It's, it's guys saying to themselves, you know what, if I'm able to work from home for you know two to three days a week going into the future, then I want to have a beautiful home. I want to have a bit of land around me. I want to you know, have a bit of a lifestyle as opposed to this pokey kind of apartment where your city, city living is, is constricted, but obviously the costs are huge. And, um, and so there's that aspect of it which is, is driving people further and further aside. And then obviously for the, during the lockdowns and during the last couple of months of people not going out, the, your disposable income has increased because you're not spending it going out and all these kind of things. And so people are 
reinvesting it into their homes and saying, you know, I'm spending so much time here. I want to have a decent house and I want to look, you know, I want to be proud of the place that I'm spending 90% of my time now. Exactly. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm in Australia, the, the government issued grants for, for doing um, building renovations for your homes to really stimulate that. Um, so um, a lot of the home home improvement stores got a real boost um, during COVID-19, I must yeah. say. For sure. Well, it's funny. There was actually the the, the stores here were closed for uh, in, the, in the first lockdown. All of the stores were closed, including the home decor places. And then um, on the 18th of May, it was they reopened for construction and for these kind of home decor stores. And you want <laughs> the queues of people going in like hours long, like people were queuing to get into go in and buy, you know, shelves and things like that that they wanted to spend money on. Um Tell me this. I've been looking at your your list of accomplishments and, you know, 48 global speaking engagements, 16 leadership awards, eight education collaborations. And uh, the first thing that comes to mind, I mean, uh, you're very prolific and um, and you're, you're kind of I, I, I see you on LinkedIn a lot. And I, I, I wonder, do you ever sort of de- have to deal with overwhelm with all of this stuff going on in your life? And do you have any tips and strategies, assuming you do, do you have any tips and strategies on how you manage to do so many things and so many balls in the air? Definitely. I think um, that is the ultimate question. A bit like you and you talk about um, being, um, you know, pulled into the family business. Um, I, I'm, I use this analogy that I was um, pulled into the family business and I had critical demands and, and I had things that I had to do. Um, and then I went and undertook an executive MBA at the same time. Um, and, and then the more I started to do, the more I built resilience and the more confidence that I that I began to acquire and within myself and the more knowledge I got. So I think one of the best things that, that I ever got out of this was how knowledge is power and how you can build your IP. So you might do so many different things, but they all become enjoyable. And I think that's one of the most important parts of what I do and what I hope anybody who wants to pursue a career and whatever they're, they're looking to do is that they're absolutely passionate and have some form of passion for what they're doing, which makes it not as difficult um, because you don't really see it as work. You see it as um, something you enjoy. Um, and to me, it's also about making an impact. Um, I don't like turning up to work just to receive income and then go home. I like to feel like the energy and the time that I spend doing something actually accomplishes something or helps someone in some certain way. So I suppose the way I've looked at it, it's about building sort of a bit of a foundation, an IP foundation, and really using that platform to create change and, and, and proliferate into different things and and if you don't feel uncomfortable then you're not pushing yourself so you as you said you know there's many different aspects that I do but I've any new opportunity I've relished because it's an opportunity to learn and grow and the biggest thing I've ever learned is I make sure I compartmentalize everything so when you do feel overwhelmed don't look at everything you have to do and and um, lose yourself look at the things that are most important and not the easiest things first and work in that order and dissect it and I think that was one of the best skill sets I ever learned was how to dissect um, problem solving or having a lot on your plate at the same time so you don't feel that overwhelming feeling that one usually feels when they have too many balls in the air at the same time yeah it's isn't I think what they say is uh, the easiest way to eat an elephant is (laughs) small pieces at a time you know and just (laughs) slowly slowly catch the monkey as they say 
Um, I was wondering if you would like to just tell us uh, over the years from when you started your career to where you are now, have there been any major mindset shifts uh, where you've suddenly kind of gone, oh, okay, so it's that's totally different to how I understood it to be or can you tell us about some of those? I think there's a continual evolution of mindset changes and, and learning. Um, I couldn't pinpoint um, a very many. I think it's a constant every single day. I think um, from an education point of view, you walk into the world thinking it's going to be a certain way. And then all of a sudden you're in a professional organization and, you know, the reality of the world hits you in the face. So that was that first point in time where theory and books don't actually equal what the real world is. So, you know, understanding how to navigate the, the you know, different terrains and business and politics and whatnot was something that that um, I had to, to learn quite quickly. Um, leadership. Leadership isn't about um, positional power. It's about influence. Um, and that was something that, you know, really um, I sort of came into my own um, in a leadership role where I really had to learn um, to back myself when others um, um, were um, not back me or um, um, didn't want that um, to affect the same change that I wanted to affect was how do you best influence and I and I um, found very much so it's about networks and creating influence and using intellect and knowledge as opposed to positional power that sort of dominates and and really learning your own leadership techniques I think that that was one of the other mind shift changes and then finally I think in the last few years it's really becoming comfortable just being you, um, being authentically yourself um, and always following your intuition and, and listening to others though at the same time. And I think that can be quite difficult for people to be authentically themselves while still taking advice from others. And some leaders do tend to think that they're right constantly, but the more viewpoints you have, um, the, the more dexterity of thought that there is and, you know, um, the, the better your outcomes will be. So to me, that was one of the biggest revelations that I had was put as many brilliant minds that are more intelligent than you in a room and you'll be a much more successful leader great advice having been ceo what were the changes that you brought about in your in your family business when you when you took the reins you were saying it was in compliance did you branch outside of that did you um take it a new direction yeah, um, I did multiple things. Um, the first thing, it was particularly in compliance, so um, building certification, building permits, some forms of inspection. So I proliferated that out into being a built form advisory where we specialised in compliance, risk, asset optimization. I then started to look at problem solving and speaking with clients in the ecosystem. And so I originally created an implemented technology in the back house in order to facilitate um, better operations and better delivery of how we did things. But I then started to go a little bit further and say, well, how do we create value? You know, we all know compliance and risk is a begrudging payment and anybody in compliance or who's out there in an asset management position today absolutely hates, you know, having to, to get an auditor to come in. Um, so I had to um, um, assess how I could create value from these instrumentally important services. And um, so we pivoted into creating technology products that help solve some of these problems, um, not just safety, but also the people experience as well, um, and also help um, our clients manage their facilities in a more effective and optimal way. And tell me more about uh, op asset optimization. That's something that I'm all about. And uh, I mean, can you give us some of the examples of, uh, of how you would optimize a client's uh, assets? Yes, definitely. I, it's a, it's a, 
First of all, um, optimization is all about getting it to its best state because you can have a dumb building or a smart building and it's all about the ecosystem members. It's all about the players that are within that built environment realm. So um, when we talk about asset optimization, you can look at um, you know asset data collection and creating the right asset schedules. But more importantly, it's about do I have clean data? Um, do we have the right information to create the lifecycle modeling? Do we have the right um, technology and what else can it be used for. So if we're using it for um, um, de um, deterioration of an asset, can we also be using it for warnings or for people tracking um, in order to get them wayfinding from one place to another? So how we looked at asset optimization was basically what does the built environment exist and stand like today? What are the outcomes that they wish to achieve? Um, and then we worked backwards from there and we would try and optimize, as you said a bit before, um, you know, what was it? Um, bite the elephant in little squares and little chunks um yes, that's how exactly. we that's how we tried to look at it was um how do we do this in a way that can help um our clients on that evolutionary scale to get to a place where we are being more predictive and intuitive um but we have to lay the foundations first and have the correct infrastructure the correct technology um, strategy and the correct ecosystem members that are all aligned with those same goals in order to affect that sort of optimization Fascinating stuff. Yeah. I mean, asset optimization is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about because we have a business park here that is about 25 years old. And when you get into a business park that um, at that age, it's all about optimization because it's, it's very hard to kind of tell exactly what is the next thing that you're going to do. Tell me this, uh, Emma, in terms of trends and uh, predictions that you have for the industry going forward, where do you see the big changes um, in the next in the next couple of years? Is there any particular sort of area of, say, the innovation side of things that is really strongly looking like it's going to perform well? Yep. Um I think there's many aspects. Uh, I can only be biased on what I know and what I look at. Um, and so to me, it really is, as I said before, that reversal of power. We're already on that trend towards that user-centric um, experience. And I think um, COVID's really pushed that. Um, so it's um, how do we create a built environment, as you said before, that creates outcomes and that is productive, that people can come to work and have a frictionless working environment, uh, a great experience as well as being productive for the business. So we'll see enhanced collaboration space, co-working spaces, but also security and safety are going to be a big issue. So I'm seeing a convergence between um, the optimization of um, the safety and health and safety requirements, um, the user um, and utility of the, um, the the built environment itself, and also the end technology that's deployed to the, the users and how they're going to be using the building and the technology to sort of move and do their um, they do their work without even realizing it so that's you know quite a few different areas all within the one sort of package um, and what I'm really excited about as well is a lot of the mixed reality and what we're going to see there um, the integration between the digital and the physical world converging in a way that we can potentially hopefully um, create data structures and create um, visualizations that we are able to manage um, the physical world digitally, but with people always at the center. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been I've, I've been speaking with a company. It's a prop tech firm based in um, the Nordic region, 
and they have a product that does wayfinding and things like that, but it's augmented reality. So you hold up your phone and it tells you yeah. this is the way to go. And so it's really use, interesting stuff because we have, um, we have a big business park here. And if somebody wanted to find a tenant, it can be quite confusing because, you know, you're, you don't know which, which turn to take and which building it is. And to have the ability just hold up your phone and it tells you this is block A or B or whatever it is that you're looking for is, is a it, real game changer. And it's great for inductions. Um, it's absolutely fantastic for engagement. Um, and, um, you know, and when you're looking for experiences. So we're, we're talking about offices, but you could also be talking about retail. And now so people getting people to return to retail really is going to be about offering a new a unique experience so I think that augmented and mixed reality is going to become a very very large part of how these types of businesses operate um, and um, even to do with sales um, and um, and um, construction itself how is it going to look people are able to design um, within an area in a space that doesn't even exist yet and I think these are those exciting elements that we're going to see come together in these next few years. Yeah, it's fascinating. I was at a conference uh, on virtual reality recently, and well, not that recently. Let me see; it's probably a year ago now at this stage. But the um, that's the COVID nineteen year that we've had. Like everything, sort of seems recent, but it's actually more than a year. The um, this conference was really interesting. That I was able to put on a pair of virtual goggles, and you were able to look at a building that you might be working on as a designer or something like that. And you, you're, you're able to manipulate it with your hands using these gloves and you could actually pull out, you could actually expand the building to be the size of real life. So you could stand in the building or you could shrink it down so that you could literally hold it like a model in your hand and you could kind of look at it from different angles. And it was absolutely fascinating. Um, I can remember just thinking, wow, this is such game changing for clients because, because my background is architecture originally. And when I was thinking to myself, you know, when you were explaining something to a client who didn't have the same visualization skills as you had, it was very difficult to explain exactly what you were trying to get across to somebody who doesn't see in, in three dimensions. And exactly. This stuff is game changing in a big way. Yeah, it puts people right in, and I think we'll see a lot of optimization as well in that. And so I think that's going to be absolutely fantastic. And I think um, an, another area that that is um, becoming more prevalent really is, um, um, you know, we're seeing out of Germany and and other areas. Um, I know Korea and, and and Singapore they're doing a lot of robotic work um, in construction as well, three um, D printing, and you know, this is going to be some. Something very interesting to watch, um, even in the cleaning space. There's something that I'm extremely interested in is how do we um, create um, safer, more sustainable environments? So if we're using toxic chemicals to do deep sanitation cleaning, how can we utilize technology? And I know a startup that's currently doing this where they're using eco-friendly products, but they're using technology such as um, 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 robots or um, drones with UVC lighting, um, you know, yeah. fogging machines attached. And so you're able to get the deep sanitation but without the environmental and health um, impact that that we'll see so there's many elements to what I think is going to happen in the next few years but I think technology is definitely whatever lens you're looking at it through is going to sit at the core of it and tell me this what is your view on the whole privacy side of things because obviously the more technology that we allow into our lives and things like that the bigger the question around privacy of your data, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I see these things now on your phone, on your iPhone, there's a little orange light in the top corner. And that means that the video is currently being used. And, uh, and all of these kind of small little changes that they've made 
and it makes you very aware. And also the fact that you've got things like Alexa. I have I've Alexa in my home, and I have also Google a Google Home box. And I just have to sort of say, uh, Google plays such and such a music in the morning and the music starts playing, which is great, which is super, there's a super utility there. And my young four-year-old daughter is having a great time saying, hey, Google play Frozen or something like this, which is hilarious. But what's interesting is, is that it's also listening to every conversation that we're having and it's listening away, constantly recording whatever it is that we're saying. What are your views on how that might impact some of the progress that we're hoping to see in this sector? I think that is a, a very diversive question because it um, has to start at a government level and, and it's, inter, it's also an international trade level um, where there is that sort of understanding of um, every, um, every country conforms to data privacy and standards. And we know currently in the world today that um, that does not exist. And I think that's something that as an individual and a business, we need to be aware of um, countries that have this legislation, other countries that don't. So these different technology providers and firms, where do they house their um, information and their privacy? Um, where is the contract based? So how is your data being protected? I think that's the, the first element. Um, a second element um, really comes down to pushing for that um, um, privacy and protection to be um, at the forefront. Um, today, everyone has data. Most companies going to a digitized environment have data, even if it is their client's information or their staff's information. And with cybersecurity being ever more important, um, this is an extreme investment that even it's going to put a lot of pressure on small and medium enterprises to upskill um, and be able to investigate cyber secure. So this is something that with governments, we need to be discussing this topic, why it's important and, and being really um, progress that um, grants and assist these companies in getting to that cyber secure position. On the flip side, it's all about being ethical. I'm being very upfront about what you're going to use the data for, um, how you collect data, where it's stored. Um, I think those firms are the firms that are going to succeed in certain areas. Um, and I think, you know, um, from my point of view, that's the question that I always like to ask. And if someone can't answer that question, then I won't do business with them. From a personal level, I think um, people deal with it very differently. I think you know, the younger generations are digital natives. So they've just got that expectation that they put everything out there. Whereas um, the different generations that, that come between, you know, the multi-generational work or whoever is using um, technology today have very differing opinions of privacy and their information. So their reluctance to adopt technology um, is going to be a major inhibitor into business progressing. Um, and as, so, as I said before, it really needs to come through legislation reform, but it needs to come through businesses having a code of ethics where they're very clear on their data, where they keep it. Um, and people are very clear on cybersecurity and what that actually means. Mm, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Emma, tell us in terms of some of the best advice that you've ever received. Um, how, is there anything that stands out particularly um, over the years? Yes, uh, definitely. I think... Um, a lecturer once told me, um, you will always find a thousand good reasons why not to do something, but there's only ever one reason why you should do it. And, you know, when you are really busy or things are um, falling on, on top of you, you can often push those things to the side and 
and just do those thousand um, different items. And to me, that was one of the most um, resonating points where when I felt like giving up or not doing something at a certain time, I always used to remind myself that there's a thousand reasons why I shouldn't do it, but there's one reason why I should and I just need to get on and do it. Interesting. And tell me this, I mean, doing an MBA can be challenging in terms of time and and the effort that has to be put in. Is that something that you would recommend to people to do, to, to chase that kind of additional education? Oh, I'm the biggest advocate for further education, so I'm probably extraordinarily biased. Um, my experience was absolutely fundamental um, and critical to the reason why I'm actually talking to you today. I did an executive MBA, which allowed me to be able to work concurrently um, with studying. So that as, as an executive was um, great because I was able to use what I was learning and put that directly into my business. Um, so it sort of was playing hand in hand. And because of the university I went to, I got to meet this array of an amazing network of intellects and and ask questions and provoke thought and that was really where I learned to learn I think you know before I looked at education as I need to get an A and it's to get somewhere whereas I actually developed this love of learning and love of developing but I think you know those formal educations are extraordinarily important and people should pursue them definitely but I also think there is self-education and there's micro-credential and smaller courses as technology and society is progressing at such a rapid rate um, um, you know universities are struggling to keep up with this technology adoption and and how they create um, job ready candidates and that's where some of these short courses can really help fill that void. And, um, you know, I was even looking on my iPhone at all the fantastic free short courses you get from Harvard and Oxford and whatnot. Um, and some of them are absolutely brilliant. So, you know, pursue whatever education you feel is going to get you to the next level of your career or that you're passionate about. And you traveled, you went to London for a couple of years um, is that right? I was going to ask you about your experience in spending a couple of years away from home. Do you think that's something that is worth doing as well? Um, definitely. Um, I actually travelled back and forth constantly. So um, the way the executive program worked was um, we would be um, at Oxford for um, a seven-day period of time and then um, I would then return back home. But I would spend a week before and after to, to work remotely. So I was already used to this hybrid working remotely model. Um, work at school during the day and then um, Australia turned on at night time. So I'd work all night um, and then do my assignments on the plane on the way home. And then get straight back into work. So I think that gave me a lot of um, um, sort of um, perspective on um, um, seeing different elements. And the best part of the course that I did was we weren't just in Oxford. We actually got to visit India and South Africa and America and China. Um, and we got to really immerse ourselves in different countries. Uh, so I think that was, for me was fundamental. And for others, if they have got the opportunity to go and live or work in other places, they should definitely do that and get that perspective. Yeah, I agree. I spent six years um, traveling and living in various places. I was in the Middle East and then I went to Africa. I actually worked in Ghana for about six months, which was really, really eye-opening. And um, and I definitely would recommend it to people to, you know, the, the world is a big place and you have this kind of tiny microcosm where you live. And, you know, it just, it's important to open your eyes and, and kind of see the rest of the world, see how other societies do things and things like that. Um, Emma, it's it's been great talking to you. I was going to ask my 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 final question before I uh, um, before I sort of finish up is the uh, I've already asked you the best advice you ever get. What if the shoe was on the other foot and you were actually speaking somehow to yourself 
uh, as a, a 20 year old Emma, what advice would you give to yourself now with the, with the knowledge and sort of skills that you developed looking back? What advice would you give yourself? Always back yourself. Um, I think that that to me, um, I wish I had have known in my 20s to have that self-belief that if I knew something was right, um, to always make sure that I was my biggest backer and not look for validation through other people um, or people around me. And I think that's what creates leadership is you listen, but you have to be your biggest advocate. That's great advice. Yeah, I must pass. I'll get my daughters to listen to this now. <laughs> Emma, it's been great talking to you. Can, can you tell us if people want to find you or reach out or something like what's the best way to connect with you? Definitely. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, so Emma Hendry, or you can reach me at www.emmahendry.com and all my contact details are there. So please reach out. Any questions? I love hearing from everyone in our community and ecosystem. I do lots of different um, conversations, even virtual coffees with people, just because I think, you know, we, we have such a wide world, but we have such a, you know, unique ecosystem and what we do. So um, yes, please reach out anytime. Uh, Emma, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, and I uh, hope to see you again soon great thank you so much for your time all right so that's it for episode number 33 of behind the facade i hope you enjoyed my conversation with emma today thank you so much for listening and please check the show notes for web links to emma's um, website and um, linkedin profile and various bits and pieces that were discussed today if you found this episode useful, my number one ask is to either leave a five-star rating or even better, if you can actually sit down and write a review, um, particularly on the uh, iTunes or um, Apple podcast platform, because it really does help get this podcast noticed. And um, there's so many podcasts out there today that it can get lost. And so sometimes just by having a couple of reviews, it just kind of gets picked up by the algorithm and more people seem to find it so anything you can do for me there would be much appreciated if you have any questions or topics you would like me to cover in future episodes please connect with me you can do that either through the facebook group that i've created behind the facade community or alternatively you can just reach out to me on social media and i use the handle gavin j gallagher for pretty much everything and lastly, if you want to stay up to date with the various events and things that are going on in my life and what I'm up to, then please sign up to my uh, newsletter or email list. And you can find that over at gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. So that's it, guys. Pretty much that's the I'm going to go off now and get ready for a little birthday celebration with my daughter. And so um, I'll catch you all next week. Until then, make, go make it happen. Mm-hmm.